Americans have perfected the art of the non-apology apology. We grow increasingly skilled at saying words that almost sound apologetic without actually expressing any real remorse or taking any responsibility whatsoever. It, in fact, it's so common there is a Wikipedia entry for the non-apology apology, a.k.a. the non-pology, which I love that word. I, I learned it this week, but it's like a word I would make up. Uh, my family knows I like to make up words in certain circumstances. This would be like, this is such a Brian word. I wish I could take credit for it. But Common non-pologies include, I'm sorry you feel that way, which communicates no regret, no desire to have done anything differently. It just throws shade on the recipient that they're probably oversensitive or irrational. But if that's too personal for you, there's the version that says an apology to anyone who might have been offended. That avoids even acknowledging the hurt of the person we're non-apologizing to. We have embraced the if-pology, where we say, I apologize if I offended anyone, which again puts the, the burden of offense on those ridiculous people who are somehow offended. There's the government version of non-pology that acknowledges mistakes were made without admitting who made them, what they were, or how they hurt someone. We have learned to give tactical apologies when we're not the least bit sorry, but we want to diffuse tension. We have learned to give explanation apologies, which children love these, right? Where our apology is actually just defending what we did and why we did it. And then there are, of course, the formalistic apologies where we have obviously been forced to apologize by someone with authority, but we are not the least bit sorry. Again, parents, I think you're probably familiar with this one. We are terrible at apologizing. In our selfish, defensive, narcissistic, and indeed litigious culture, there is little that we dislike more than really actually having to admit we did something and, and explore the pain that we might have caused in the process. Or, or take responsibility for something, or, or acknowledge that we need to eat some crow. Unfortunately, of course, non-pologies only make situations worse, and so we, we miss out on the transformative and reconciling power of a true apology. Real apologies begin with real sorrow for what we've done, and then they go beyond that. And as followers of Jesus Christ, we should be great at apologies. We should be quick at apologies. We should love apologizing, right? It sounds weird, but we ought to. And yet we are often challenged, just like everybody else, either to, to actually feel sorry for what we did or to, or to move beyond it, because sometimes we, we kind of go to the other extreme and we just can't get past being sorry. And so whether you struggle to acknowledge and feel sorry for what you've done or whether you get stuck at the opposite extreme and you just can't get beyond guilt and shame for past mistakes, once again, the Psalms teach us how to deal with the pain and the cries and the needs of our hearts. The Psalms teach us how to honestly express our sorrow and embrace God's forgiveness, and, and there's perhaps no Psalm that is more powerful in this regard than Psalm 51. This Psalm of David begins this way, Have mercy on me, O God, 
according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation. And my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice where I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Do good design and your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then will you delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings, and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. The attribution of this psalm is a psalm of David when Nathan the prophet went to him after he'd gone into Bathsheba. It's a psalm of deep remorse when a man who had been refusing to admit, even recognize his own evil, was finally broken by it. And it teaches us how to admit our sins and our mistakes. And it teaches us how to move forward when we feel trapped by guilt and we're ashamed of our past and we're, we're burdened by the labels of the world that is placed on us because of our mistakes. This psalm illustrates a journey from sorrow to healing to celebration and rejoicing through three movements, three steps. The first step is to be sorry and confess your sins. In this psalm, David is devastated by his sin and he is right to be this way, right? Let me briefly recap the situation for you. King David stayed home one year when his army was out at war and he should have been with them. But he's hanging around the palace with a lot of idle time on his hands. We know what happens when you have a lot of idle time on your hands. And so one day he looks across and he sees Bathsheba, the the beautiful wife of one of his officers, taking a bath on the roof. He lusted after her, 
He seduced or more likely forced himself upon her, impregnated her, and eventually arranged to have her husband killed in battle so that he could marry Bathsheba to cover up his sin. David broke three of the Ten Commandments. He coveted his neighbor's wife. He committed adultery and he committed murder. And yet it still, for all that, took the prophetic word of God and the death of their baby to penetrate his stubborn heart's blindness towards his evil and sin. Finally, in Psalm 51, David is profoundly sorry. Verse 3 says, For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. He finally understands his sins and he is, he is constantly aware of the horror that he has committed. It will not let him rest. This is a psalm of brokenness and confession to God, full of genuine sorry for, sorrow for what he has done and, and not just the consequences. Right, because so often I didn't talk about the version of the non-apology where we're only sorry because of the consequences. He is sorry for what he has done. And what I want to tell you today is that we need to resist the temptation to, to read this as an interesting historical poem and instead understand that Psalm 51 is teaching us to be the same way, to be deeply aware of and sorrowful for our sins, and the evil that we each commit. See, healing and transformation begin with admitting that we all sin against God. We do. And you might be sitting here thinking, you know what, my stuff is not as bad as David's. I have not yet arranged to have anyone killed. And congratulations. But that's irrelevant. Right? We have all done things or failed to do things which have hurt others, which have disobeyed God's clear teaching, or, or have benefited ourselves inappropriately. This is why Romans 3.23 is crystal clear. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Because God is perfectly holy, righteous, just, good, kind, merciful, and loving, and we aren't. We're just not, right? We regularly fall short of his glory and his expectations. Like David, we sin by nature from birth. We simply can't not sin. In verse 5, David describes the nature that he shares with us. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Now, please understand, verse 5 is not a commentary on the act of conception or birth. It is a commentary on the nature of mankind, that we are sinners by nature. And in case you doubt me on this point, let me ask the parents in the room for an assist. Did you ever have to teach your children to hit people? To snatch things? To disrespect you? To whine or cry to manipulate people? Or to lie. Anybody have to teach that stuff? I didn't think so. But I guarantee you that you have put a ton of effort into trying to teach your kids the opposite. And this is because we are sinners by our fallen nature. We, 
We need to truly admit and understand this about ourselves, as David is here admitting it. We need to admit that we are sinners and be truly sorry for our sins. And we also need to understand that all of our sin is first and foremost against God. Verse 4 is a very interesting verse. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Well, what makes verse 4 so interesting? The fact that, strictly speaking, it's not true. Right? David slept with another man's wife with no indication that she wanted to be a part of it. He arranged to have her husband killed. Right? David sinned against a lot of people. He sinned against Bathsheba. He sinned against Uriah. And as the leader of a holy nation set apart by God, right, he was anointed to lead them in a holy way. He therefore sinned against all of Israel. And yet, despite all of that, David understands and expresses that first and foremost, his sin was against the holy God who sets holy standards and calls us to live by them. Right? This isn't saying that he didn't affect other people with his sin. He is admitting that first and foremost, all sin is a rebellion against God. It is an act of warfare against the living God of the universe. And this is critical for us to understand today in 2019 because we all sin. And that means we all sin against God. Right? There's no such thing as a personal or private sin. So often, Christians and non-Christians alike will, will rationalize sinful behavior and choices by saying it doesn't hurt anyone. Or it only affects me. We hear this used as an excuse for a vast array of sins, including pornography use, sexual immorality of every kind, drug and alcohol abuse, adultery, gossip, white-collar crime, and on and on. But friends, the Bible doesn't have categories like big sins and little sins. It doesn't have categories like sins that don't hurt other people, versus sins that do hurt other people. And yet most of us try to, to soothe our consciences with these fake categories to comfort ourselves, that our, our sin is not as bad as someone else's. And it's a lie. All sin is sin against God. All sin carries the same terrible penalty, death. Romans 6.23 affirms, for the wages of sin is death. 1 John 1.8, which was read earlier, says it bluntly. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. We all sin. And here's a, a challenging one for all of us, myself included. We all sin specifically, not generically. Right? Isn't it a lot easier to say, yeah, we're all sinners, than it is like, I sinned in this particular way at this particular time? Because our minds don't like to think about that. We sin against God, and we need to come to terms with this, and we need to let it break us the way David was broken. Right? That you are a sinner, and so am I. You make mistakes and poor choices, and so do I. Don't make excuses for it. Don't pretend it's not true. Let your heart be broken 
by what you've done to God and to others, and then confess it like David did. Confess it specifically and ask God to forgive you, just like David did. And here's the thing. God loves to hear our confession. See, he already knows our sin. There's, we ain't surprising him when we come to him. We're not, he's not surprised. He knows what we have done, but he loves it when we recognize what we've done and come to him asking forgiveness. This is what David is expressing in verses 16 and 17. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You'll not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. See, see, David understands that God's not really that interested in, in, in us following required religious rituals when we're still wallowing in our sin and haven't bothered to apologize for it. In truth, God delights in our honest confessions. He, he delights in our holy sorrow for our unholy words and actions. Because that sorrow is the beginning of renewal and transformation. The next step in our journey towards God. The next step of David's journey. And that brings us to that second step, which is to embrace God's forgiveness and transformation. We have a wonderful assurance that, that when we recognize our wrongdoing. And when we are genuinely sorry for it, then, then confessing it to God and asking His forgiveness, He is faithful, and He completely forgives us. See, David paints this beautiful picture of God's forgiveness throughout the psalm, particularly in verses 1, 2, and 7. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. These verses are overflowing with Old Testament language that describes total forgiveness, complete purity, and full restoration of relationship with God. Once God forgives us, there is no stain or shame left over. We may struggle to let go of it in our own heart, but God has already gotten rid of it. He holds nothing against us after he forgives. It's not like when we forgive and then a week later we throw it in a person's face. God never throws these things in our face. When he forgives, it is total. Verse 9 describes his choice to completely remove our sins from his attention and thought forever. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. And this is exactly what God promises when we ask his forgiveness and when we embrace it. 1 John 1, 9 guarantees if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. All, even yours and mine. God forgives all our unrighteousness, ugliness, sin, and shame when we ask Him to. And He doesn't forgive us because we deserve it. He doesn't forgive us because we've, we've beaten ourselves up sufficiently 
for our mistakes. He doesn't forgive us because we promise that we're never going to do it again. Because he's heard that one before. He's smart and he knows that we're going to be at his feet asking his forgiveness again one day. So he does not forgive because we make bold promises. God forgives us because of who he is. This is what David appeals to in verse 1. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. God is merciful and loving, and His forgiveness is by His steadfast love, mercy, and grace. This is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That although we are indeed sinners and hopelessly incapable of paying off all our debts to God, He sent His perfect and eternal Son, Jesus, into our world to sacrifice Himself, dying on a cross, to pay the penalty for our sins so that we don't have to. Romans 5.8 explains, God shows His love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Because of God's steadfast love and mercy through the the sacrificial death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, God forgives our sins when we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, when we accept the forgiveness that we cannot earn. And yet God gives us as a gift of grace anyway. Romans 10, 9 and 10 assures us, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Friends, the good news is that God will completely forgive everything we confess to Him. That when we come to God the way David does in Psalm 51, honestly, sorrowfully, and pleadingly, then God will forgive us. So seek God's forgiveness, embrace God's forgiveness, and rejoice in God's forgiveness. But I want to encourage you that Psalm 51 is teaching us to ask for even more from God. Right? David's not just asking forgiveness for a specific set of sins, as awful as they were. And he's clear on that, but he is asking God for more. He's asking God to transform his heart so that he will not fall into this again. And we should follow his lead. So what we see in, verse 50, in Psalm 51 is that we should seek and embrace God's transformation of our hearts. That's the only thing that's really going to change. Just us, us promising, I'm never going to do that again. That doesn't change anything. God changing our hearts, that changes things. Transformation changes things. In verse 10, David asked God to completely change his desires and longings, his his pleasures and delights to make them worthy of God's steadfast love and forgiveness. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Right? That's not just about getting forgiveness. That is about transformation, right? This isn't about a clean slate. David is longing to enjoy God's presence. In verses 11 and 12, cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. 
the totality of this experience, forgiveness, heart transformation, and the ongoing enjoyment of, of God's presence that David is asking for here is exactly what Paul proclaims to every follower of Jesus Christ in 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Our status as new creations in Christ, our new identity as Christ lives within us and God's Spirit fills us. This is the thing that empowers us to break those patterns and habits of sin that have previously dominated our lives. This is what gives us hope even when we fail yet again to live a godly life. And we are once again asking God's forgiveness. Only the heart transformation available through Jesus Christ can permanently change us. Because we have to realize that the sin that we're so broken up about at times, that we are confessing to God and asking for forgiveness for, that sin flows inevitably from what is going on inside our heart. This is what Jesus explained in Matthew 15, verses 18 and 19. But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. It's a scary thought when you think about what comes out of our mouths sometimes. And this defiles a person, for out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. The heart transformation that David is crying out for that we so desperately need is available to everyone in Christ. It is available for every sin that tempts you. Now, there's no guarantee that that heart transformation is going to be quick, that it's going to be easy, that it's going to be free of stumbles and setbacks. And yet, as we learn to embrace Christ within us and walk alongside Him closer and closer each day, our hearts will surely be transformed by God, and our old temptations and desires will fade away, replaced by better and more wonderful desires for God Himself. Our experience of God's radical forgiveness and transformation then leads us to the, the final step of David's journey. This final step is to, to share God's goodness and sing His praise. As you reflect on what God has done for you through Jesus Christ, giving you new life and identity in Christ, washing away all your guilt and sin, granting complete forgiveness, offering perfect love as, a, as, a, as an adoptive father to his beloved children, despite our brokenness and failings, as we reflect on this, we are compelled to share this hope and good news with others. And this is what David is describing in verses 13 through 15. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness. Right? The guiltiness that comes with killing. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. Oh, Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. We have received the greatest good news imaginable. 
that we are all badly broken, devastated by sin and its effects, and yet God forgives us, reconciles, and heals us through Jesus Christ. This is a message the world desperately needs to hear. This is the message of the three circles approach to sharing the gospel that Walt is is teaching in his summit course, that out of brokenness there is restoration available through Christ. As you confess to God, embrace His forgiveness, and, and begin to experience transformation in your life, don't hide it. Don't be shy about it. Proclaim it. Share your hope and sing God's praises. David is clear. God delights in right sacrifices. And and as followers of Jesus Christ, our sacrifices are, are made clear in Hebrews 13, 15, and 16. This is what God desires as sacrifice. It's not about animals. Through Him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge His name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. As we share and sing, pray and praise, let us pray that our experience of God's extraordinary forgiveness, salvation, and transformation would become contagious. Pray that it would spark an awakening, a a movement of people to Jesus Christ, that we would see many in our community come into right relationship with God through Jesus Christ. This is the closing image of Psalm 51. In verses 18 and 19, do good design in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then will you delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. The picture that's being painted here is of community-wide healing, forgiveness, reconciliation, and transformation in Christ. It is a picture of all of us standing side by side in God's grace, regardless of race or citizenship or education or employment, worshiping God together and lifting up sacrifices and praise. Oh, Lord, speed that day. Please pray with me. Father God, we come before you. with humility. We admit that we are sinners, Lord. That we are broken. That try as we might, we slip up and fail to meet your glorious standard. Oh God, we praise you for the encouragement of Psalm 51 and the and the message of the gospel that despite that brokenness, when we come to you and ask forgiveness in Jesus Christ, you give that to us freely. That you forgive us completely. That our sin is forgiven, our shame is washed away. And so, Lord... Hear us now as we confess to you those sins we've been holding back on that we have walled off and pretended we're not going to confess for and pretended we're not a sin that we rationalized away to ourselves. Lord, hear our confession now.
Father God, forgive us. Forgive us of what we have confessed to you. Father God, we praise you because your word tells us that in Christ you are faithful to forgive. And that you forgive in a way that is so beyond the way we forgive. Oh Lord, help us to embrace your forgiveness. Father, I pray for anybody here who might be struggling to accept your forgiveness. who's confessed sin to you, asked forgiveness, and yet is struggling to forgive themselves. Lord God, let your healing peace and comfort wash over their hearts. Help them to let go of the sins, the shame, and the mistake that you have already erased from the books. It is already as far away as the east is from the west. Lord, bring comfort and healing where there has only been guilt and shame. Father God, transform our hearts. We each have a heart condition that causes us to sin and fall short of your glory. Transform our hearts, Lord, that we might become indeed more and more like your son Jesus. Fill our hearts with love and delight at the transformation we have experienced. Let this be our song and our story as we depart from here today and go into a, a badly broken world that is just increasingly ugly to each other. And in many ways, it is just reflecting increasing ugliness in, in our own hearts and souls. Let us proclaim your goodness, your hope, your healing, your comfort, your good news. Everywhere we go, Lord, it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.